Okay, welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is Friday, August 4th, and uh, we're here with Rodney and David Duckelbaum of TD Cowan is back with us. The focus of today's podcast is, or video, is the quarterly results of all lithium companies that have produced their, the ASX uh, companies, a number of them have reported, you know, Core, Pilbara, IGO, Minres, Alchem, and then Albemarle and Livent just reported yesterday. Before I begin, just want to uh, thank once again our sponsors, uh, Zalandas, as well as Lithium Royalty Corp. I'd also like to thank all of our $10, $100, and $300 Patreon sponsors. We'll tell you a bit more about Lithium Royalty Corp as well as uh, Zalandas later. David at TD covers Albemarle, Livent, Allchem, Piedmont, Lithium Americas, as well as Lithium Royalty Corp. So he can speak specifically about those on which he has recommendations. Rodney will speak about some of the others. Uh, we don't recommend stocks. Nothing on uh, Rockstock Channel is financial advice, but there's a lot of information out there and uh, we're going to discuss that. Uh, before we do that, I just want to remind all of you listeners, if you haven't already registered your email for RK Equities, Lithium Bull and, and other stuff, go to rkequity.com and put your email there so you can get all of our uh, content in a timely manner. Upcoming Lithium Bull will be out in the next kind of couple of days, which will include an excerpt of Rodney's proprietary research on the quarterly results. We'll talk a little bit about this now, but if you want the full research, you need to sign up as a Patreon sponsor at the $100 tier. You can go to patreon.com slash rockstock channel to do that. And in addition to proprietary research like Rodney's, we are having our group Patreon call on August 24th for all uh, Patreons at that $100 tier level. So if you want some kind of uh, dialogue direct with Rodney and me, I encourage you to sign up for that. So Rodney, why don't you give a quick overview of all of the companies I just mentioned, largely the ASX Bajmin producers and some of the chemical producers. Oh, by the way, one other thing I'll say is that the lithium scoreboard I just published yesterday, there have been a couple of movements there into producer category, including Lithium Americas, which is now producing out of Kachari Olaraz. You know, Piedmont and Sayana were moved, I think, last month, but they just announced their first shipment and core as well as Sigma have announced their first shipment. So we put them in producer category, but these companies are now going to be revenue generating and, you know, core has uh, seen actually a little bit of an underperformance. You know, Rodney, maybe why don't you start with that? Cause core was the first one out of the gate. And then we could talk about some of the other ASX uh, spodromy producers. Sure. So Core uh, had some recovery issues. They were below expectations. Um, there's also some ROM stockpile issues as well uh, in terms of feed through. So they are supposed to be at, you know, at some point reach nameplate, I think of around 175,000 tons. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It, it, it isn't going to happen in this coming financial year. Bear in mind, Aussie is June to, you know, June to June is how they, they sort of do it. So, um, sorry, one July to June, they are going to be 80 to 90,000 tons, I think this year with slightly higher sales. And then in the financial year 2025, also going to be light. So a couple of things have popped up, you know, what does it mean that you're dealing, I think, with finer grain material than they thought in the 
definitive feasibility study. We'll wait to see. I don't know if it means flotation, but um, it was it was a surprise. The one thing, Howard, that I picked up in their quarterly that kind of threw me is in the Northern Territories, the um, royalty is substantially higher than it is in Western Australia. So basically they have a formula to allow for costs and so on, but they take a 20% royalty off the costs, which comes out to roughly a 10% top line of revenue. So that's literally double Western Australia. I, I didn't, we haven't followed core that closely. That was a bit of a surprise. Bottom line, core is not going to be producing an excess of of what our forecasts were, they're going to be slightly light. If we move on from there, IGO, cover them because they uh, give some good information and look through to um, to Greenbushes. Greenbushes production was, was slightly higher than expected uh, this quarter, but also to do, I think, somewhat with pricing for the quarter that was set. Their forward projection for the next financial year is largely flat which is below what i expected and the other it wasn't a surprise but it, actually it was to some extent on the downside was uh, quinana's production of chemicals was low to say the least uh, so there definitely seemed to be some issues there and of course if you're not producing lithium chemicals you don't need the feedstock so that means any spodumen, excess spodumen has to go somewhere. So I guess that's going into the market and being sold because Quinana uh, doesn't need it. I don't know how long that's going to take to fix, but definitely a problem. On the same theme, if we move over to mineral resources and Albemarle on the JV, Kemerton also below expectation on production. I'm sure you've got some commentary to chat about that, but mineral resources has now essentially said they went out of all downstream, they're getting out of Kemerton and they're getting out of the two Chinese plants and they are going to look at a midstream sulfate and possibly tolling. The production at Mount Marion, pretty much in line and expected there. Uh, the production at Wajina actually slightly below, was down quarter on quarter again not needing it for the downstream because that is underperforming. Uh, so I don't know how that discipline will go. And I'm very interested to hear what you two have to say about where Wajina's volumes will go to in Spodumen from here. Then um, Gallic, uh, um, Alchem, Mount Catlin, that was better than expected from a Spodumen perspective. Uh, and they've also done some work on trying to extend uh, the mine life. We'll see how it goes further. The outperformance in terms of effective LCE tonnage is quite low, so not a huge issue. Uh, the thing is, though, is that um, and the car, you know their carbonate from Elroz was good, but uh, Naraha was an underperformer again. So again, reiterating on all three: Kemerton, Quinana, and Naraha. You know, below expectation volumes. So. Um, you know, there's some work to be done there to build that up, which means, again, their carbonate, if you don't need it at the hydroxide plant, you're likely to be selling it to to third parties. And what about Pilbara and also AMG? I forgot to mention AMG. So AMG is not an ASX, so I don't know if you want to do it now, but Pilbara, Pilbara did well. They 
we're ahead. They, they're kind of in line with my SC6 equivalent for the full year. They definitely beat, but again, translate that tonnage into an LCE effective downstream and it's not it's not a meaningful you know a meaningful number away from from our forecast but they are doing well and tracking ahead to do the expansion so if i remember correctly howard he said full steam ahead was the quote in the on the call so um they definitely seen demand and if we look just overall lfp cathode production in june was up uh, if you look at battery cell production for the first half of the year great number china up 43 percent uh, and if you look at some of the forecasts they're expecting to see quite a bit more in the second half and sort of ev sales what albemarle is saying so i'm not surprised that he's saying you know full steam ahead because i'm expecting quite a big uptick in volume and of course demand in the second half uh, of the year based on those numbers so Bilbra good if we want to cover amg again there's some timing they are pretty much tracking exactly as i had them at the only thing was pricing was was uh, was slightly lower but you know we've seen spodumen pricing drift off between three and three and a half looking at the latest numbers but um I cannot see looking at battery cell production unless there was an enormous amount of cathode buildup and lithium inventory wherever in the system that we're not going to see an uptick in demand in the second half based on um, on uh, on EV forecasts forecasts and on battery cell production. So it, at some point after the summer, my guess is buying has to resume. Right. Okay, uh, AMG actually lowered their guidance and the stock got crushed. Core uh, underperformed and the stock got crushed. You know, Pilbara, Minrez, IGO, they've been, you know, flat to slightly down. The market has has, has been generally weak with, the, with, with lithium prices a little bit weak. Uh, also, I don't know if the uh, rise in interest rates of the 10 year and, and 30 year in the US uh, because of the Fitch downgrade is somehow having you know some sort of like derating impact, you know, David? Maybe you have some view on that. But to, just to summarize, Rodney, like, do you think that the hydroxide underperformance, you know, at Kemerton for Albemarle, at Quinana for IGO and Tangshi, and for Naraha at Allchem, and, and as a result, you know, spodumene and carbonate, you know, tons are being put in the market? Do you think that this is maybe having you know a, a depressive effect on the prices in addition to you know, Sigma, Piedmont, you know, and, and, and Coors, new uh, tons coming to market? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's, it's not a material number. I think, I think somewhere in the system, someone's playing a dangerous game, not restocking, is my guess. Uh, the only thing I can think of, these numbers, Howard, on balance, you know, they, they're kind of neither here nor there in terms of total numbers. The question is, what's coming out of Africa? What's being produced in the China brands this year because they're in summer and what is happening in, in lipidolite. But uh, I wouldn't say that, you know, the, the tonnage coming from those that you mentioned would be enough to do something. It just feels like, you know, the guys are holding back as long as they can, thinking material is, is going to come. But I, again, as I say, if I look at, at um, second half demand, across and expectations of, of production I, I can't see how they can hold off 
the other one uh, we haven't chatted about is Sigma, and it's funny because uh, I'm going to claim it because in my models I had exactly 130,000 tons as an estimate for this year, and they're saying 130. So my haircutting or estimates on them was, was spot on. They are slightly more optimistic about what they'll produce next year than I am. We'll, we'll see how they go as they go to full ramp and then, and then another step up. But, you know, if you, if you look at if you look at these in the end the key ones are you know green bushes wajana and so on it's not these new ones are and they're sort of uptick from proven and then that's that's not that's not the big swing swing factors here so if we think about an overall market that's going to be nearly a million tons this year of demand um so i'm expecting um at some point uh they can't avoid stepping up and buying Okay. The, the outlooks that uh, Pilbara gave mineral resources, I listened to uh, Chris Ellison for an hour and a half, you know, fighting analysts and, and, and other commentary. It was very entertaining, you know, but all chem, all of these guys are, are painting and, and uh, David, you could speak about Albemarle's, you know, bullish outlook, but they're all medium to long-term all systems go in terms of, you know, making capital investments to, to meet demand uh, interfacing with OEMs and battery uh, customers more and more mineral resources emphasized very much in the restructuring of the album all that they want to control of their own rock and they're, you know, they want to redirect some of that out of China into the US and Europe and they are having dialogues with uh, auto OEMs directly. Albemarle and uh, Livent both signed deals with Ford directly, which again, David could talk about, but Pilbara made a comment that the auction that they're now having for their 300,000 tons of aspodamine supply, you know, they want to integrate kind of downstream for that compared to when they did this in 2017, you know, and POSCO had them over a barrel, right? POSCO cut a very good deal, you know, with Pilbara. Now Pilbara is going to cut an extremely good deal with, I think they have 70 people in the mix, as I understand, there was like a first pass in, in the Macquarie uh, process, uh, and now they're going to narrow it down over the next few months. But uh, I think Pilbara is going to get a very good deal with, uh, you know, the auto OEMs or some of these you know, merchant converters uh, that don't have, you know, spodumene supply there. So the, the demand is very strong, very good, medium to long term. But, you know, the equities aren't reflecting this. And we talked about this, actually, when we presented at fast markets, the seasonality, and we, and we had, last time we, we had a round table, July 4th, the Declaration of Independence we did on, you know, the Twitter spaces, we talked, you know, that the summer could be weak, and it's a great opportunity to be uh, picking up some cheap stock uh, on an expectation that you'll have a lithium price recovery, and you'll have a lithium equity recovery, you know, into Q4, into next year, the September to kind of January, February time. I, I mean, I think the one thing You've got to look at is uh, that's important is if you look at where battery production capacity utilization is at it crept up last year but it's back down again in the 60s i think so there is cell capacity to up production and lfp cathode capacity has been expanding as well i'm not sure if it's as much on the nmc side so what i'm saying is the downstream as long as there is demand and 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 ev production capacity is also improving i'm not sure it's exactly on track but it's improving so my point is unless there's an economic headwind 
the system can take more material into the cathode and into the battery cell to take the next leg up of sales. So there's no pinch points looking at downstream from here, in my opinion. David, do you agree? Yeah, I, I think that there's a couple things, right? Is earlier in the year, right, we were like, we were all overcome with this destocking thesis. And then there was this brief restocking period. And I think we saw EV sales pick up dramatically in China in June, um, and then they've tailed off in July. And, and I think we've also seen a tail off, obviously, in North America and Europe. So now there's just this, this debate. I think when you look at, at upstream inventory levels, those numbers have come down you know, every single month since March. I think the, the amount of, of lithium inventory that's held downstream has also whittled down. But then there's, there's this other function, right, where the amount of, of cell inventory held at gigafactories in China, uh, I think, you know, sort of reflects the fact that you're operating at, at low utilization levels right now. You have an adequate amount of, of downstream cell inventory that perhaps is a month or two months debatable. But I think on the upstream side, what you're seeing held at, at, at say, smelters or with lithium companies is, is, is really what equates to about a two to three week supply. Um, so I think suffice to say, like the market's very tight right now. So if you if you were to see this acceleration, Howard, you talked about Albemarle's rosy outlook, right? No one's no one's backing off this view that we're going to see a forty percent growth rate with EVs this year, which would have us at fourteen million vehicles. But that also implies that for the next four months, uh, you're going to start to see EV run rates increasing by twenty percent from where we were, you know. In, in sort of this June, July time period. If that happens, that's, that's quite like a pull forward on demand. And I think we're all looking at the supply side, which is for lack of a better term, just late right now to be addressing any incremental demand. So I think it's, you're seeing more volumes obviously flooding into the spot market. I think you're seeing supply from even major producers that was being withheld in the first half of the year uh, that's coming onto the market right now. But it, it does seem like unless there is a prolonged demand weakness or prolonged economic weakness, especially in China uh, going into the end of the year, that those that those positive forecasts should come to fruition. I mean, we're of the belief that the lithium prices crest above $50,000 a ton in the fourth quarter, and, and that should lift all equity votes. But I do think, you know, we, you, you brought up the point earlier, Howard, of what what's driving some of the underperformance here with many of these names and, and i think some of it is is cross currents from if you look at the major specialty chemical producers like dow and others like they're all signaling that demand is worse than expected in the back half of the year even coming out of albemarle's you know specialty segment with bromine you know, pointing to weak consumer electronics demand if you look at other materials outside of lithium on the rare earth side right minus out of australia talked about withholding uh, some product uh, going into permanent magnets from the rare earth side, because really just the the industrial, the entire industrial equation in China appears to be just moving along at a slower pace than I think people had had anticipated. So I, I think that there is this this general approach from all investors, both retail and institutional. Of, there's a little bit of a wait and see element of, of does China really pick up in in this fourth quarter? Because you are seeing regulatory intervention, you are seeing stimulus coming in. Um, you know, certainly on the commodity side, I, I follow oil and gas as well. And, you know, we've seen, we, we've seen expectations that, that China starts to consume more on the oil side in 4Q. And all of this is, is just broadly tied to this 
China industrial machine that is expected to start reaccelerating. In the fourth quarter, if you overlay typical seasonality around EVs, that, that's going to translate into, into a run here. But I think that's why, and I know Rodney's posted about the CME futures. We've talked about uh, Gangshou futures um, starting to trade in, in the middle of July. And you've still seen like hydroxide futures, right? Like hovering in the 50s next year. And, and I think like that's, that's ultimately like the setup right now. Interesting. Um, you said a couple of things about rare earths and the, the diggers and dealers uh, conference in Australia is next week. And I, I saw someone tweet, I think it was Haplo, that critical minerals, you know, for battery, you know, and, and just critical minerals presenters exceed gold uh, presenters, you know, for the first time. Right. So that, that's, uh, that's a good, somewhat of a good indication, but I, I, that was the second or third time people said like, oh, lithium and rare earths are are hot. Like we just did a video on nickel, nickel's not hot, cobalt's not hot, graphite's not hot. I was surprised to hear that rare earths was hot. It didn't seem to be reflected in MP or Linus's stock price. You cover both of those stocks as well, uh, David. I don't know if you have just a quick comment on that, but then I'd like you to go into the companies you do cover if you, and, and the research that you published on Albemarle Life and you know, Piedmont, Lithium Royalty, and any comments on the lack of separation? Look, I, I think on the rare earth side, you know, maybe maybe it's thematically hot right now, because I think you know, if, if you, and we're getting into like a lot of different topics, right? But, you know, lithium and every critical material is always going to command some sort of risk premium because the market is heavily dominated by China. You saw a couple months ago, I, I suppose that the gallium and germanium export restrictions from China, which was really a shot at chip manufacturing, right? That's not a read through necessarily into rare earths or lithium, but I think the broader market is like, well, if China can restrict the exports of one material, what would be stopping them from restricting the flows of other materials? And we don't necessarily have to go into the logic because every material has its own narrative associated with it. But I think thematically things are hot right now, but the markets themselves are not hot. And I think both MP and Linus and the rare earth side characterize the market right now that has been one awash with supply that was held back from Myanmar. Uh, China receives a ton of, of feedstock from Myanmar, and that was basically shut down for almost a year just due, due to some uh, uh, politically sensitive uh, things that were happening in the country. Uh, so you've seen this influx of new supply. And then the demand side, rare earth is much more tied to broader industrial activity, things like HVAC, the real estate sector. So if China's not constructing things, if they're not building things, the rare earths market kind of moves more with that. Lithium, obviously, is going to be much more tied towards, you know, the battery side, which is that has has actually become, I think, divorced from the broader industrial narrative. Okay. Tell us your thoughts on uh, Albemarle and Livent Halls and Outlook and, I mean, and valuations. I mean, these things are like, at, I don't know, single digit PEs, not EBD, but single yeah, digit PEs. Yeah, sure. Uh, our view going into the quarter, what we had previewed was that we thought that they could raise the, their top line or their revenue guidance for the consolidated entity by about 3%. So we, we, we turned out to be exactly correct with that. I'm going to pat ourselves on the back of my team. But you know, I think a lot of people expected that because the last time Albemarle gave guidance, they referenced mid-April pricing which was you know, still at a relatively depressed point in China spot carbonate markets, 
they marked to market their guidance this time. The way that Albemarle guides, right, is they will look at a reference price at a given point in time and then carry that price through the model through the rest of the year. Uh, so they use June 30 pricing, you know, what's certainly going to be up from where we were in, in mid-April on spot carminate. I think the markets like obviously become a little bit more complex with the type of indices that Albemarle is using and, and others. Even Alchem has asserted that you know, they're using more CIF pricing um, than, than China carbonate. And that's obviously not the, uh, the determining factor always of, of how cargos are being priced. Uh, not to segue, but I think Alchem, their update as well, like Rodney talked about the fact that they, they outperformed at Mount Catlin they outperformed on the production side, right, at, at Olorose, and they're ramping stage two at Olorose right now. But they sold a, a, a relatively limited amount of those volumes. And part of that, I think, is that, you know, they also didn't provide any pricing guidance into the subsequent quarter, which is rare for them to do. You know, they, they typically will give you a view forward. And, and they remarked that they were still pricing a lot of their contracts or a lot of their sales for, for the end of the July period. So uh, I would expect that when you get like their their full year update, their annual update uh, towards the end of August, you'll get a better sense on, on where those recent cargoes sold, but they're bringing volumes back to market right now. Um, so they, they were st certainly still withholding sales on, on the carbonate side out of, uh, out of all the rows in the second quarter or, or what would ever be second quarter there, fourth quarter. Back to Albemarle, um, you know, there were a couple of things. One, uh, you're, we already learned about the mineral resources renegotiation Right, which really leaves Albemarle in the place where they're, they're now going to be 100% owners and financers of uh, Kemerton and Meishan and Kinsho in terms of conversion assets in China. And now the question becomes over time, Wajina was intended to feed all of China uh, on the conversion side, whereas Greenbushes, which is still ramping and, and actually had a very impressive quarter from IGO, you know, is going to be feeding Kemerton. So I think that there's, there's less of a perhaps, you know, concern around how, how Kemerton is ramping. Everything there is, is on time with another, uh, with another train coming up and running at Kemerton. I think the question now becomes, you know, we've seen Albemarle out. Uh, they made a bid for Liontown that was publicly disclosed back in March. Continually looking at sources or how do you feed all of this conversion capacity that you're bringing on in China. And I think the difference between the two views, right, is that I think Albemarle has a view with some others that you can feed the European markets with Chinese converted material, whereas perhaps the U.S. markets will need to be fed over time, given the IRA compliance with U.S. converted material. So I, I would anticipate that's why you know we were talking earlier about why Albemarle is looking at acquisitions. They're, I think they've publicly disclosed they have it in their slide that they're, they're looking for more resource because they expect to be resource long over the next year and a half until those conversion facilities are built in which case they want to start matching more resource with the downstream conversion or midstream conversion rather. So I, I think as it relates to the quarter, a lot of people anticipated they were going to raise their guidance more significantly around pricing. So expectations were high. And then I think you certainly saw like the, the, uh, the inflow of obviously greater ownership around uh, the downstream assets, which translates to higher CapEx. And then you saw a reduction on the cash flow from operations side. So suffice to say, like Albemarle is, is outspending cash flow right now for the first time in a few years uh, in pursuit of these growth objectives. Uh, their, their view around the long-term market tightness and what they see as a structural deficit really beyond the 2025 time period, that's unchanged. But I think you know, the, the near-term factor is 
you know, without a correction on the price side right now, the, the, the incremental delta was they're spending more money this year because of this renegotiation of contracts. So, I mean, if you think about it, but they'll need about 700,000 tons to feed China and their half of Wajana doesn't get that done. I'm not sure what the balancing act is with, with green bushes, but I mean, it makes sense now that they, you know, they talk about M&A. No, for sure. And it's something worth monitoring, right? Because the updated agreement around Wajana with mineral resources would still have mineral resources tolling their volumes through Albemarle's facilities into China up until the point where mineral resources, I suppose, would build their own conversion facilities. Okay, before we continue, here's a bit more about our sponsors. Zalandez provides services in subsurface data visualization, downhole geophysics, and other services for lithium brine operations. They just expanded into North America. And no matter where you sit in the brine industry, Zalandez can help you speed up and improve your projects. Go to zalandez.com for more. Lithium Royalty Corp. is at the center of a global energy transition and manages a globally diversified portfolio of lithium-focused royalties in electrification and decarbonization. With 32 royalties on 29 higher-grade, low-cost projects from exploration to production, Lithium Royalty Corp. covers all the bases with well-managed risk, ESG considerations, and a scalable royalty structure. Lithium Royalty Corp. is publicly traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker symbol LIRC. To find out more about Lithium Royalty Corp., visit lithiumroyaltycorp.com. So, so there's going to be there's going to be a little bit of a wait and see there with with how all of that. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the midstream goes and how that ramps it goes that route. The one thing I did want to ask you specifically, David, is Livent. If you look at the carbonate coming online and then you look at their Chinese hydroxide facilities and Bessemer City, I, I, I'm struggling with the maths a bit for feedstock. Right. Well, so Livent uh, reported you know, Thursday evening and, and there really wasn't much of a change to guidance there. And, and you know, as, as a sidebar, it would be atypical for companies that are entering into a merger that's supposed to close in the fourth quarter of this year to materially change guidance um, unless something really has changed. I think the only real increment that came out of Livent was one. You're not going to see first commercial sales out of the Solar Ombre expansion. They're expanding by 10,000 tons until the fourth quarter. So on the margin, that's about 1,000 tons less this year of impacts to financials. I think the second phase, they're saying all contributed would be about a 10,000 ton increment next year relative to the 23, right? But their capacity in theory would be double at 40,000 tons per annum, you know, slightly less in terms of uh, uh, the carbonate to, to hydroxide conversion. But, you know, I think to your point, Rodney, like, you know, they just completed the 5,000 ton expansion at Bessemer City. You know, certainly with the build out in China, I, I think that there's... Is this where Allchem comes in? Well, that's... Some of the, the Allchem benefit is actually having some of the... Uh, uh, the excess lithium chloride that would feed into their butyl lithium segment that would be helping uh, livent in some of the uh, some of the specialty products because they've been they've been acquiring lithium metal in the open market. So there's that that's included with some of the synergies that they talk about uh, in that in that couple hundred million per year eventually or 175 million per year. I, I think over time, honestly, because China conversion was so inexpensive for them to build that 
you know, ultimately Solar Umbrea is going to expand again and they will feed into that. But having spare capacity in China is not necessarily an overhang for them. And, and you know, it's not as though these are situations, if you look at, at some of their new contracts, you know, many of these are taking volumes out of Bessemer City, right? And, and I think that they're going to be able to satisfy that entirely with feedstock coming from Argentina. And, and really the last point on Livent, and, and we've highlighted the Livent Alchem Pro Forma as, as our top idea uh, for this year, you know, most recently. And I think the general view is just the Pro Forma, right, is, is one of the only lithium companies like in the public realm that's going to be entirely funded organically through cash flows. Uh, you have a number of different growth projects between both Alchem and Livent. And then obviously you have you know, new projects coming out of Canada between James Bay and Wabuchi, which would ultimately feed down to Beckencore and some other downstream conversion. Um, you know, the pro forma there, I think we have trading right now at sub three times EBITDA in 2025, where most of the peers trade closer to four and a half times right now. So we still think a very compelling valuation setup there for the pro forma once that closes. But I think that was the other incremental update from Livent is I'd expect that you're going to see a technical report coming out around Wabuchi in the next few weeks. Uh, they updated their capital estimates around both Wabuchi and Beckencore, I think to be 1.6 billion in aggregate, which is, I guess, 2x from what we saw five years ago. Yeah, I was, I was, that was my next question is the 1.2 on the 34 is, is a number. Well, we'll see what the technical report says because, you know, we don't know if this is apples to apples in terms of what was included with original engineering. But they also they also did comments that at least they expect their portion to just be 10 to 15 percent of that in terms of capital. I'd, I'd expect that, you know, as we go into the end of this year, we have to look at a number of sources of government financing and offtake partners. You know, this would that would iterate towards that one point six billion total with also being shared by uh, by Investment Quebec. I wouldn't be surprised if Ford provided some funding as part of that offtake deal, maybe a prepay or, or and maybe U.S. government funding or Canadian government funding. But you, you mentioned the valuation three times 2025 EBITDA. I mean, that's crazy low when I think about, you know, what Albemarle paid for Rockwood back, you know, a few, you know, six or seven years ago. These were in the mid-teens multiple. David, sorry, just what, what, what lithium price do you have to come out at that number? That's a good question for me. Um, <laughs> it's about 30, isn't it, or so? We are, in our 2025, we're at uh, $38,000 a ton. There seems to be a dichotomy. If you look at Pilbara's valuation, I don't know, it's like 9 or $10 billion US. You know, Sigma, Liontown, these pure play spodumene producers are trading at much higher multiples than Alchem, you know, and Livent. I mean, just think about that. Like Alchem and Livent are each four or five billion dollars themselves. And that's what Sigma is. And that's what Liontown is. Liontown's not even in production. So is Chris Ellison, you know, right? You know, if you own your own rock, you're God. But, but Pilbara and Mineral Resources do want to go downstream. Right. They want to be integrated. That's the long term goal. But the market's valuing, you know, the upstream, you know, much higher. And you're getting some pushback from analysts, you know, asking why Chris Ellison do you want to move downstream? And he was only talking about sulfate, which is not all that difficult. And he just said, like, he'll just get some Chinese partners, you know, come and, and, and build it. Howard, in fairness, though, I mean, the effective LCEs of, of those upstream 
Spodgerman produces is a lot more than these other guys are producing now, at any rate. So there is a ratio there. I mean, again, they've got to deliver and, and, and Larvin's got a growth strategy uh, and so on. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, Line Town will effectively come out at about 70,000 tons LCE when it's up and running fully. What people are saying is look at all the downstream and look at the hiccups. So what's going to come on stream without trouble versus a spodumin producer, albeit that cause had some issues. I mean, it seems Sigma's doing its thing. I remember seeing its core samples back in 2019 at Mines and Money and stuff, a great, great core, you know, and, and some of the and some of the others. So I guess they're saying it's it's easier to to get your spodumin up and running, but I mean, it's uh, while we're on this, and I know we're talking quarterlies, but David, I'm interested to hear your view. We were once when all of those spodumin producers all came online in 2018 and 19. The margin sat with a converter. Now we're seeing a lot of integrated internal models where there's not a lot of spodumin going to third parties. How long do you see spodumin and the miners taking the lion's share of the margin? of effectively of, of, you know, is, is this sort of tolling model and, and controlling the rock going to be indefinite? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the tolling model certainly seems to be accelerating. So I, I suppose that it's indefinite, but, you know, I, I think it's also interesting. Another dynamic too, right, is that a year ago, I think that the common narrative was that the spot market represented less than 10% global volumes, right? And that number is probably triple today. But again, it's carbon. It's carbon that's going to be influencing how most people, I think, view the markets uh, because that's that's the most widely available price that we can see on the screen, right? You know, so I think you have that dynamic at work. And then, you know, the other side, you know, in terms of how long it lasts where you would have this matching situation and the margin going back to, to hard rock, like I would, I would surmise that that in our view, still persists for the foreseeable future. No, I think I think it's one thing to, to control to control where where everything is going in terms of getting to the downstream and, and controlling where the flow goes to customers, and, and ultimately, I think that retains most of the the margin back on the upstream side. Well, I mean, that's how Albemarle's kind of positioning. If if they keep if they make sure that there's no large spodumin resource, you know, there's no, I keep saying they don't want rogue tons coming onto the market, so they've not that, I mean, in Liontown's case, I think most of the offtake customers are Albemarle customers, but now you've got Patriot and that is potentially going to be a very big resource. So they, they're getting involved there. So it's almost as if every time anything gets to big enough, someone, I mean, if you look at the Australians, there's no, the next up is, um, is Global Lithium, you know, after all the others, everything's spoken for. So it doesn't seem like it, it feels as if everyone's looking for some kind of internal solutions and, and controlling the ultimate the ultimate destiny of it. And I, I've said before, uh, David, are your thoughts? I mean, I said, you know, who do we as investors and who does the market want to set the price for lithium? Do you want Albemarle under contract to set the price? Or do you want, worst case scenario, a second or third tier Chinese converter with a weak balance sheet who needs to get it off his inventory as quickly as possible and will sell to anyone. I'd rather have Albemarle under contract with a strong balance sheet. I agree with that. But I, I, to David's point, if the spot carbonate now has gone from 10 to 30%, we've talked about 
spodumene and carbonate being much more commoditized, right? Commodity carbonate, specialty hydroxide, to the extent that I, I, I see a derating in the multiples, right, to like iron ore multiples or, you know, what Rio or BHP, you know, trade at. And, and maybe that's because, and you hear it in the commentary, Albemarle and Liven, you know, all chem, that they, they don't have a lot of predictability or visibility into their earnings, right? And Albemarle, which has moved, Albemarle like managed their earnings for a long period of time, like every quarter, you, you know, that they, they had, they, they were very focused on having high predictability, high quality earnings. And now there's more variability. So if you have more variability in your earnings, you know, the market gives you a, a lower multiple for that. So that is happening, I think, as, as part of the market. But at the same time, Albemarle and Liven are still very focused on the hydroxide in particular for Western OEMs. And that market is still a bit more complicated. You know, though they should get a premium, you know, for that over time. But, you know, anyway, it's, it, it, it's a, it's still a young market. It's evolving market. It's confusing and they can't even predict, right? They don't know. Even live yesterday was saying, you know, they have a billion dollar, you know, forecast for EBITDA, I think next year, but he said, that's just a guess, right? You know, the, the, their, their visibility is, he said that we could have super high prices again, and they'll make, you know, some nice money during that time, but just really no, no visibility. I'd like to comment though on like mineral resources now, well, for a lot of the past three years, I've talked about a spodumene duopoly, you know, with mineral resources and Albemarle, Albemarle largely controlling what was happening at Wajina and, and Pilbara controlling what was happening, you know, they mothballed Altura and that resulted in, in very high prices. And, and now essentially MinRes is you know, they're at pains to say how great their relationship is with Albemarle and with Ganfeng, but they're basically saying that they see value in controlling their own destiny and the rock. And in fact, they're they're going to be competing with Albemarle. Al Albemarle has lost half of the Wajina tons, you know, and I'm wondering maybe that's why Albemarle is being more aggressive, you know, in entering Patriot, you know, and, and pursuing Liontown, you know, because they need to have additional spodumene resources, but we're moving from the spodumene duopoly to maybe an oligopoly because, you know, mineral resources is a competitor, I think now to Albemarle. They're going to toll, you know, until 2024, but then after that, they can go to Ganfeng, they can go to, they can go to Albemarle, but they can go to Yawa, you know, Yawa, Rodney just sent to me has extended, you know, their agreement with Tesla. They're a qualified hydroxide producer. And there are many others. Everybody's talking about like, it, we don't have a great line of sight on the conversion capacity in China, but everybody is saying like over the past couple of years, they just, there's tons of capacity there and they're starved for rock. We were speaking with um, another client of ours who mentioned that actually the Chinese now, rather than playing the spot market, are looking to have long-term contracts with spodumene producers. And we're very skeptical about that because a couple of years ago, that was the case. Ganfeng had long-term agreements with Pilbara and Al, Al, you know, Altura, you know, but when push came to shove, they didn't adhere to their floor prices, you know, but the body language and a lot of the dialogue with the converters was just like, okay, we don't just want to have this you know, spot market, you know, playing, you know, let, let's kind of have long-term contracts. So that combined with the Pilbara auction, you know, for the downstream being very, you know, buoyant, I mean, speaks very well for hard rock specifically, 
I'd like to also just like shift a little bit. There's been some Rio Tinto mentioned that they want to kind of get into lithium. Exxon, you know, has been in the press, you know, about that. There was an article on Reuters, you know, I, I, my, this wasn't my takeaway from the Almall call, but they said, oh, that they're, you know, doing a pilot plant, you know, for Smackover and, and DLE. You know, I'm noticing a client of ours, an investment of ours, you know, E3 is at an all-time high. It's interesting that they're at an all-time high, critical elements, you know, frontier and all-time, not all-time, but, you know, 52-week low, you know, E3 is at a 52-week high. You know, E3 has Imperial Oil as a partner and investor, you know, that's Exxon subsidiary. You're in the oil space, you cover oil stocks, uh, David, maybe we could just, what do you think about Exxon? What do you think about, you know, DLE plays, you know, the smack over, you don't cover standard lithium, but you cover Albemarle. Uh, on the oil and gas side, you know, it's quite popular right now, I think to remark that they're all looking at lithium content in produced water, right? So water is, is, a, is a byproduct of any oil and gas well. So, you know, you know this, is, this is a product that they have to pay to be taken off of, of oil sites. So if there is some sort of residual value, and look, it's not just lithium, it, it can be gold and ammonia. There's a lot of stuff in the water. And so I think, so, so I, I think that there's, there's that camp and that, that probably is going to be very immaterial. Uh, for a very long time. What Exxon is attempting to do, I mean, they, they bought Galvanic, right, which is now uh, Saltworks. You know, they've announced, I think, intentions to build a conversion facility. So, so that those are real dollars at work and a real commitment. And that's going to be, you know, real brine processing. And I think that they all, you know, many of them believe uh, in the oil patch, right? You've seen uh, active companies like Tetra, uh, Schlumberger, obviously Exxon now, that all have you know a ton of in-house engineers that are working on different separation technologies that likely will be some sort of DLE piloting and you know for for companies that are flush with billions of dollars of free cash it, you know it's not it's not a bad investment if somehow it works um, you know these are relatively low entry multiples for them and then certainly having experience in refining is Exxon's core competency uh, obviously that's on the crude side but having you know big pocketed major oil companies that are familiar with large project developments. You know, it seems to be a logical progression over time. There's just a question of, you know, is the, is the technology feasible, especially on the DOE side for, for what they're attempting to use. But I, I would imagine that for now, that's more of like a bullet point than actual news flow. And then, you know, the Rio Tinto point, I think we've seen Rio Tinto publicly visible looking at lithium assets. And obviously you mentioned like the Rincon project, which is interesting because that was that was obviously like a very greenfield developing project that had been on you know the schedule and had some work done around it for years. So it certainly wouldn't suggest that they're precluded from entering another developing asset that would still be years away from production. And I think you highlighted that you know they are increasing their presence in Canada. So I think if you were to connect dots there, it would make sense that they would be looking at everything. Um, but I also think it there is. There's reasons why many of the, the mining conglomerates have not, you know, jumped you know, at, at all of the lithium names just yet. Uh, you need to have need to have enough relevance. And I think that there's still a view of ultimately what, what happens to lithium pricing and this is our valuations. We talked about the multiples, but if pricing moves back to this historical range of twenty to thirty thousand dollars a ton, you know, then I think many of these companies are content to wait. Yeah, I mean I just just on what you're saying there, David. I mean, but one of the things though that... It's interesting, you know, Rio's angle with the early stage with the Rincon, and then they've got these exploration assets in Canada is where is the 
expertise? Where is the downstream expertise if you're not going to buy into a big firm? Well, they got a lot of, you know, PFS uh, work on Yadar. <laughs> <laughs> 17 years worth of research. But I think that there's like a precedent where you've seen in most natural resource companies is you buy resources and then if your internal expertise fails, you buy expertise. Yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, look, they, they need to they need to decide. But again, I was surprised that you would they would go into something as intricate as DLE as a an initial play rather than, you know, sort of moving dirt and going into like a spodium and play and, and going from there. But I mean, they're trying it now in Canada. So we'll see. Um, the other thing, you know, I guess that, you know, like Sabanya, when they got into Caliber, Sabanya deals with the uh, with the car supply chain because of their supply of cat you know for catalytic converters and so on so they had contacts and they had a relationship on the commercial side it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for the other made you know major mining diversified mining companies if they have have those links but we'll see but i, I think uh, i think it's safe to say in my opinion that rincon's a busted flush We'll just wait to see that play out. Uh, if you take what they paid, take all of the years that they're waiting, how much they pay for the pilot plant, and then put that into production and see, you know, plug in some lithium numbers and tell me what your IRRs are on an after-tax basis. And it doesn't look like it's taxed to me, but I guess, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait. But it will be interesting to see the future moves because if you think about it, I don't know what the, the complete number is, David, but if you if you look, if, if we say that lithium demand is going to be three to four million tons, put a number on per ton, how big is that market relative to nickel, relative to copper, whatever? I think it's meaningful enough that if you want to be a diversified mining company, surely that you have to have a foot in there. I think they'll eventually get there. I've said it all along, though. You know, when Rio buys Albemarle for a hundred billion, that'll be the kind of like the Rio Alcan moment when you know you should be selling all your other lithium shares. But I'd have to say that if you look at strategies of the incumbents, you know, Albemarle has been quite entrepreneurial. They they bought you know for thirty million dollars an asset, you know, from Lithium Power that's adjacent to Greenbushes. There they've put $100 million on market buying into, you know, um, Liontown. They've now done another, you know, $100 million or so into Patriot. And their strategy is very clear. They want, you know, tier one deposits and tier one jurisdictions of Spajmin, you know, but they're not like doing really DLE, you know, in Antofala, you know, in Argentina, you know, so where they have a big resource in, in, in Argentina, you know, Rio went into Argentina. There was some news that, yeah, that, 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 that Reuters wrote, you know, that the, the Albemarle is piloting, you know, in the smack over. But I think they're just they're I, I wouldn't read too much into that. They're very, very focused on hard rock in tier one jurisdictions. And but SQM is the only one that hasn't reported yet. They're reporting in a couple of weeks. But I what one thing I would comment, uh, and I think this is something that Alchem or the Alchem Livent merger can do, right? You, you had SQM went into Azure Minerals, right? They wrote a $20 million check for like a 20% stake and Azure is now a billion market cap, right? Like, so valuation at the end of the drill bit for a discovery of hard rock is, is 
that's just amazing. That's just a story. I wasn't tracking that closely. And I looked at it, it was like, oh my God, you know, this thing has really rallied very aggressively. So Azure is another tier one deposit in the making, it looks like in Western Australia, SQM, you know, invested as is their want, that they don't overpay, right? Their strategy, they went into Lithium Americas, that, you know, early, that they get, you know, they went into Kidman, you know, they pay cheap. Almol, you know, pays, you know, higher valuations. It'd be very interesting to see. I think Livent and Allchem, you know, can kind of get into that game of, you know, funding some early stage, you know, juniors with an eye to, you know, finding these discoveries like Patriot, you know, or Azure, you know, before they get to be, you know, too high, highly valued. David, if you can talk about, you know, Piedmont was your top kind of, you know, small mid cap pick. They're now in production. What's kind of like, with Sion is in production, but, you know, the, the maths and the economics, you know, for Piedmont of that offtake agreement are very strong. If you can comment on that, and if you could also comment as well on Lithium Royalty Corp. I mean, I think that went public, it's 17 or $18. It's now at like $12. They have royalties on Sigma. They have royalties on Winsome Resources and, and, and a number of others that are, that Sigma's in production. So that's going to be a, a cash flowing and, and, and core. So just to, if you could just comment on your research on that. And then finally, your thoughts on, you know, Lithium Americas as well, which you cover and what the valuation split might be once that happens in October, I think it is. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first, I mean, I think with Piedmont, you know, one of the things that we had highlighted at the beginning of the year was just this, you know, really like evaluation arbitrage for the offtake within AL. And I think it is commendable. We, you know, wrote this week with first shipments out, like, NAL through Sayana was, I don't know, the, the, the first projects to really deliver on time to do exactly what they said they were going to do uh, this year. So I, I think that is worthy of at least a golf clap or two. Uh, but, you know, you have that first 15,000 tons that left port. Uh, talked about like the next subsequent shipments, I think that Piedmont expects to come in in the third quarter here. And, and then certainly, I think, you know, the expectation is that Piedmont's share is going to be somewhere in, in, in the 50,000 ton range uh, as Spodgeman this year. Uh, if you look at most market pricing, right, be clearing somewhere north of $130 million for that uh, in the back half of the year alone. Uh, you go into next year and, you know, just using spot concentrate today, you're at another $300 million And you look at the market cap today and you're about a billion dollars, right? So... You're earning your market cap very rapidly just off of offtake. And then certainly I think it's worth everyone just keeping an eye on what happens in the fourth quarter with Tennessee Lithium, uh, which has received its final permit to effectively begin construction now, uh, which also means that perhaps you're lined up for an offtake partner agreement or another catalyst to just give some greater visibility around financing that project. But you know, certainly finding an attractive partner, the likes of now, we've seen the Fords and the GMs like signing deals and writing checks. Uh, so that, that's probably worth staying tuned for. You know, in terms of like Lithium Royalty Corp, you know, we, we had initiated on the company a few months ago when it began training. It was one of the only IPOs in the lithium space. Obviously a different royalty model. You know, I think for now, they have several projects that are coming online in, in the 2025-26. Their, their royalties are... are heavily exposed to many of Winsome Resources projects. So certainly as like Adina and Kansit, um, uh, you know, in addition to Sayana's prospects like Moblan, uh, I think it's as, as you monitor those and progressions towards commercialization, 
you know, so too will will lithium royalties, uh, you know, fortunes rise there. But in the in the short term, right, it's it's the stock is still going to be highly correlated to spot pricing. You know, it's a royalty distribution model. You've seen a couple of attractive deals that they've done this year. Uh, I think one of the largest was was Dust Nevis in, in Brazil through through Atlas, which you know they have experience down there with with obviously Sigma and and Grota. So I think the combination of them. You look at the portfolio they have today, which is uh, or processing at Mount Catlin, they've extended the mine life there, which means that cash flows are going to be extended for several more years for LIRC. Uh, you would also obviously have Core's Finis project, uh, and obviously the content there was a bit delayed. And then you have Grota de Cirillo, and I think that shipment was delayed as well. So a little bit of just the you know things moving slightly to the right. You know, but I think that the real things to monitor there, I think, as we think about how you value that equity is... Is the net asset valuation associated with some of the projects they have significant royalties in, uh, like Winsome Resources portfolio and like Cyanus? Great. And uh, Lithium Americas? Yeah, I mean, so obviously LACs split right now. Um, you have Early Works construction at Thacker Pass. I think the expectation is, is that you'll have a conditional loan guarantee at some point from the Department of Energy uh, ATVM loan program. I guess the the separation should take place formally in October. Uh, you have Kachari, I think, which we discussed earlier, which is is now producing with with, uh, with first production. And I think like our our split right now is is uh, when you look at, at sort of the NAV is the NAV for Lithium Argentina or Lithium International would be uh, roughly twenty eight dollars a share, whereas the NAV for Lithium Americas, which would be obviously Thacker Pass, and then their interest in green technology metals is roughly $15 a share. So, you know, there's quite a, a, a bit of a discrepancy in valuation, but that's really going to be related to producing assets today in Argentina and then and certainly having pre-producing assets in, in the United States. Great. Thank you. I think we've been recording for an hour or so. So let's uh, leave it at that. David, thank you uh, once again for joining Rockstock Channel for this uh, lengthy discussion of the quarterly results. Valuations are cheap, right? You know, and the demand and supply backdrop is good, you know, in all of our opinions. So not investment advice, but uh, continue to sharpen your pencil. A lot of companies we talked about here are worthy of doing your own research. M&A, I think was going to feature very significantly. There hasn't been that many capital raises, right? So when stocks are depressed, this just like delays the supply kind of coming on stream over time. You have a company like Leo Lithium, right? You know, to the extent that there was anticipated supply there, I don't know what's happening, you know, in, in, in Mali, but you, you have yet another African story that's been in trading halt for, you know, a long period of time. So anyhow, we're, we remain bulls on the lithium equity space and, you know, dips are typically followed by higher love. So going back to Steve Winwood, I'll conclude on that note. 